Good morning, beloved. Um, we are in for quite a, a treat um, today as we have just a wonderful text uh, before us. So um, please join me and open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And, uh, today we will be looking at verses 3 through 6. Um, I'd like to start reading back in verse 1 this morning for context. So Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 1 here now, is the reading of God's living and infallible word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus, and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoptions, as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Uh, what we have uh, before us is a call to praise. A call to praise. Verse 3 begins with praise, and then the section that ends in verse 4. 14 also ends in praise. But as I mentioned earlier, Paul's writing from a Roman prison. So why would he be praising God? He says, because God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That even before the foundation of the world, God was at work choosing for himself a people to the praise of his glory who would be holy and blameless before him. In fact, in this first section of chapter 1, we see the eternal calling of the body of Christ predestined from eternity past. These heights that we are about to encounter are far above our pay grade. Where verse 3 begins, we're not looking at the here and now operation of the church. We're looking at God's eternal plan as he unfolds his purposes for his church. Now it's going to take us a, a couple weeks just to work our way through uh, verses 3 through 14 as these contain literally volumes of theology. And so these things must be studied with great care and, and patience. And so we will do so. This isn't a text that you just race through. This is what I like to call the deep end of the pool. This is what I like to call the 32-ounce porterhouse that you don't swallow in one bite. That you got to cut it up into a bunch of small bite-sized pieces and chew on it and chew on it for all the flavor before you swallow it. Now, uh, to begin with, this whole section that runs from verse 3 down to verse 14 is all one long sentence in the Greek. 202 Greek words 
make this up with zero grammatical breaks. Uh, and now, of course, any English grammar teacher would flunk you on that, but Paul is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So he gets a plus. And once he starts ascending to these glories of God's eternal plan for the church, he just can't stop. And so he just keeps going and going and going until finally he puts a period at the end of verse 14. It's just a glorious passage and it is basically a discussion of God's sovereign grace as he chooses for himself a people so that God would be glorified. And it takes us all the way back to eternity past. Now I'm convinced that this is incredibly needful for us to understand this as a church is needful for us to see ourselves in the plan of God. It's important for us to get a grip on the fact that we didn't just randomly decide one day to follow Jesus. That God is up there with some sort of divine fishing hook and he just, you know, casts it down here onto earth, randomly hoping to hook a couple of fish. And if he catches some today, wow, pretty good day. I got a, a couple of these guys to bite. But, you know, then tomorrow comes, he says, oh, man, I only got two of them. No, I don't see God trying to fish around to catch some men. We might be fishers of men, and we do not know who God's elect are. But I don't see God sitting up there saying, boy, I sure hope some of these people will respond to the gospel and follow me. I don't see God doing that at all in Scripture. What I see specifically in Ephesians 1, is God's master plan for his church being assembled by his own sovereign decree and purpose to the praise of his glorious grace as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. As I like to ask, where were you when the foundations of the world were being laid? Psalm Chapter 3, verse 8 states clearly that salvation belongs to the Lord. And so our verses today will, will give us tremendous insight into an eternal God who has sovereignly decreed the end from the beginning. And we see God sovereignly on display all throughout the scriptures and not just in salvation. For example, we see in texts like Psalm 139, Verse 16, David praises God because all his days were ordained and were written in God's book before any of them had come to pass. Last week, we saw in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 11, that Paul explains that the saving of the Gentiles was accomplished in accordance with God's eternal purposes, which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, a mystery that 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7 says, God predestined before the ages. And I could just go on and on and on with examples of all the way that God is sovereign, not only over his creation, but in the salvation of his people. And though this is an incomprehensible um, truth for some, it is one of the most repeated in all the scriptures. The record of God's redemptive history is that of him reaching down and drawing to himself those whom he has chosen to save 
for his glory. So in these opening verses of Ephesians, Paul lets us eavesdrop as God's plan to save his people from their sins, not only long before we were born, but long before the foundations of the world were laid. Now, as I mentioned already, verses 3 to 14 form one long section in the Greek as Paul covers the past, present, and future, as well as each member of the Trinity and God's redemptive work. For example, in verses 3 through 6, Paul covers the past blessings as God the Father was blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ, chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Verses 7 to 12 cover the pleasant blessing as in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. The gift of salvation is available right now. And then verses 13 to 14 cover our future blessing in that God has sealed us with the Holy Spirit, who according to verse 14 is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And though I could have used this as our outline, I went with a different one as I see two main themes that are the focus of of Paul's praise, especially in verses 3 to 6. And so you'll see these on the back of your bulletin notes that, number one, we are chosen by God. And number two, we see the plan of God. Chosen by God and the plan of God. And we're only going to work with the chosen of God um, for today. And next week, we'll, uh, we'll look at that next section. So let's just begin with uh, number one. We are chosen by God. Now, admittedly, Paul doesn't address the doctrine of election until verse 4, but verse 3 is a statement by which all his praise follows. Um, So notice just how verse (coughs) 3 begins. Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, that word blessed here eulogatos in the Greek it's where we get our word eulogy um, from and a eulogy is something that's usually recited at someone's funeral and it means to speak uh, well of someone to speak good of someone and of God it can be said he is always good he is always good in fact Jesus said in Matthew 19 17 there is only one who is good and that is God in fact whenever you find someone being described as blessed like Mary is in Luke chapter 1, verse 42. It's a different word, and it refers to a blessing received, not a blessing due. And so this is a praise for God alone. And God the Father not only does good things, but he is also good in a way and and to a degree that no human being except his own incarnate son, our Lord Jesus Christ, can be. And so consequently, from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, God is blessed. God is blessed. Melchizedek in Genesis 14, verse 20, declared, Blessed be the God most high, 
And in Revelation 5.13, you have that um, great throne room scene with all of heaven singing, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God is blessed from Genesis to Revelation in his word. And, and we are to continually bless the Lord in all things, whatever trial we're in, whatever trouble we face, whatever pain we are experiencing. We are to bless God because he is good in the midst of it all. Now before we, we go on and talk about the blessings God extends to us, let's make sure we understand who Paul's praise is directed at. Notice verse 3 again. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the Celts have used this to make Jesus into being subordinate to God and, and of course not God himself. But, but Paul uses the terminology in the same way that, that Jesus did in, in examples like in John chapter 20, verse 17, when Jesus said to Mary Magdalene, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And so in his humiliation, Jesus referred to the Father as both my God and Father. And of course, the Jewish religious leaders of the time understood this as they accused Jesus of blasphemy in John chapter 5 verse 18 where it says for this reason therefore the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he not only was breaking the Sabbath but also was calling God his own father making himself equal to God. The designation father points out the triune nature of God the Trinity and and not any sort of superior character or nature. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all equal in nature, three persons, one God, but subordinate in function. We see in the baptism, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and so it goes. And so first we see God is the blessed one, but he is also the blesser. He is also the blesser. Notice what it says in verse 3. Who has blessed us, we pick it up, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And this uh, word, us, here refers uh, back to the saints mentioned in verse 1. Now, it's true um, that God's common grace extends to all of his creatures. For example, Psalm 145, verse 9 says, The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Verse 45, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. And so all receive blessing in that sense. But, but Paul is marking out believers here as, as notice those who have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now spiritual blessings doesn't mean that God's blessings to us are are only spiritual in nature and some kind of this mystic thing that we just can't really tap into and use. God's blessings do also include those that are, are physical or, or natural as well. Um, James uh, says, for example, in James 1 verse 17, every good gift, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount said, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not worth much more than they? And so we bless God. We bless God because every good and perfect gift is from above. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. But that word spiritual needs to uh, be looked at here because spiritual can be used in, in several different ways. Um, and first of all, it can mean that these blessings come to us by means of the Holy Spirit. One could apply it that way. That is, the Holy Spirit is the um, vehicle or the agent that applies the spiritual blessings to our hearts. And um, that, of course, is true. And when we look at verses 11 to 14, where the Holy Spirit is mentioned, perhaps that's what Paul has in mind. But the second thing the word spiritual can mean is that he has in mind that which is, is spiritual, as opposed to that which is fear, uh, physical or, or materialistic. And I think as I read this phrase in the heavenly places, that's really the second of these that Paul has in mind. I think when Paul says God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, what he's saying is that we should be most thankful for and praise God for that which is spiritual in, other, in, in nature, or in other words, that it has a lasting significance for the kingdom of God. And again, that doesn't mean that God doesn't also bless us materially because he does. And as the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, And my God shall supply all your needs according to the riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And then who can forget the promise that we studied back when we went through the second epistle of Peter? That says in verse 3, God's divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. So you see, God has already given us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. He has blessed us already with every, did you notice, every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. So as Colossians 2.10 says, in him you have been made complete. And all of this is possible because as Ephesians 1.3 says, we are in Christ. We are in Christ. And so Paul here is praising God for, for every spiritual blessing we have. And as we go through the rest of this text, he, he begins to list these things in which we have so much to praise God for. Let's move now to verse number four, as now we will see the reason for Paul's praise. The reason for Paul's praise. Notice what it says in verse four. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. Do you know why he blesses God in verse three? He blesses God in verse 3, because he is overwhelmed that God the Father has chosen him before the foundation of the world in Christ. It's not because of us. It's nothing that, that, that Paul has done on his own to deserve this. Paul was a murderer at heart, we saw last week in Scripture. He persecuted the Lord's church. And yet God, 
God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. God's blessings come to us because he chose us in Christ. Can you believe before anything existed that God's loving affection was already set upon you? I mean, this is the infinite wisdom of God, right? It's utterly amazing. I mean, we, we weren't there to witness this, but this is the plan of God being shown before us. Now, a lot of people balk at this idea of God choosing for himself a people. They don't like the doctrine of election and, and want to fight um, for what is often called um, man's free will. It, it, it is man's choice, they say. It is man's choice. Um, but what we have to understand is, is, is left to our own devices, we would never choose God. Never. That would be the result 100 times out of 100. We are born dead in our trespasses and sins. And what that means is, is that in our fallen nature, we hear the gospel pro proclaimed. Your friend or relative has brought you to church. They, they hear the gospel, but we don't want that gospel. Jesus Christ is exalted, but we don't want Jesus Christ exalted. We want to be exalted ourselves. I make my decisions. I make my choices. And so in the free exercise of our fallen human will, we will run away from God. It's about this fallen state of ours in Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 18. And it's really not a, a pretty picture of those free wills. He says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands no one seeks for God. Does this sound like free will? Sounds like a slave to sin. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known, there is no fear of God before their eyes. And this is taught throughout all the Bible. And so I believe the Bible teaches the absolute sovereignty in God's election. And I also believe what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come, come. Come to me, all who labor and who are weary, and I will give you rest. And I also believe what Jesus said in John 3, 16, that whosoever believes will not perish, but have eternal life. Now, don't get me wrong. God's sovereign election never excuses, excuses human responsibility. God declares to all men in Acts 17.30 and elsewhere that all people everywhere should repent. And so God's election and man's responsibility 
may seem like opposite and irreconcilable, but I have total peace with both of them. How you ask? Because God makes it clear in his word that both are true. Man will be without excuse on the final day. And yet I can say with every fiber in my being, the only reason I stand here today is because God, who is rich in mercy, chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now before we move on, I just want to show you a, a sample of some of the many verses that demonstrate God's sovereign election. And, and if you want more on this, you can um, certainly watch any of the sermons from John chapter 6, from our archive, um, John chapter 3. I have preached many sermons on this topic. Um, but just to remind of, of some examples, and for some of you maybe who, who are new here, um, are there other verses that support God's sovereign election besides what we have seen? And we see the words of Jesus, uh, for example, saying in Matthew chapter 24, verse 31, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. A great verse is in Acts 13, 48. The apostle Paul is preaching, and it says, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of God. Notice, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. The only ones who believed are those who were appointed. Those who were appointed believed. Or how about Romans chapter 8, verse 30, which says, And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What about 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13? You can't get much clearer than this verse. Paul, writing to the church in Thessalonica, writes, But we should always give thanks, notice, to God for you, brethren beloved by the Lord. Why, why Paul? Because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. Pretty clear. I'll just share one more for the sake of time. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. Paul writing to Timothy, For this reason I endure all things, for the sake of those who are chosen so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it, eternal glory. And so again, this argument about man's free will is completely foreign to Scripture. Man's will is not free. It is in bondage to sin. Read maybe Romans chapter 6, for example, or Romans chapter 3. The unsaved walk in the fertility of their mind and darkened in their understanding, Ephesians 4, 17 through 18. The offer is made that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, but the reality is that no one will call upon the Lord on their own. Psalm 14 is what was quoted in Romans 3.11 that says it plainly that there is none who understands, there is none who seeks after God. And that is why Jesus says in John 6, verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me 
draws him, and I will rise him up on the last day. The, the doctrine of election that God, by his own sovereign choice, chooses who will be saved in no way violates what he also says about the commandments to repent and to turn and to believe. And whosoever come, come, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The sinner that responds to the call of salvation does not violate his own will. Instead, it is the sovereign grace of God that makes him willing to respond. The relationship of divine sovereignty and human responsibility is a mystery to us and will not be solved on this side of heaven. Warren Wiersbe writes, try to explain election and you might just lose your mind, but try to explain it away and you might just lose your soul. Both are true, both are essential. Now back to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, and, and I want to um, show you the purpose of God's blessing. God's choosing is not haphazard or, or arbitrary. God's choices are always good and with a purpose in view. And, and the purpose is, is plainly stated here that we should be holy and blameless before him. You were not saved that you could just escape hell and go on living a, a depraved life. You were saved so that you could live a holy and blameless life to the praise and the glory of God. Now remember from last week, holy means set apart unto God. And it's the same word as saints in verse 1. And, and, and holiness takes uh, in three aspects. Past, present, and future. We, we were set apart unto God when he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. We were. We, we are being set apart in, in the present as through God's um, sanctification and the work of the Holy Spirit. We more faithfully live for him and we will be set apart perfectly in the future when we are raised incorruptible and dwell with the Lord Jesus Christ forever now um, blameless means without blemish or spotless and in Christ the stain of sin has been washed away and we are now clothed in Christ's righteousness and so in Christ we are made holy and blameless before God. It is, it is him and his holiness that makes us good, not what that we have earned. And, and the, but the striving of the Christian is to live that truth out practically in our day-to-day -day lives. The believer desires his daily life to match his position. Remember, that's his position in God. We wouldn't necessarily say, oh, yes, I'm, I'm holy. But in the position in Christ, you are made holy because of him. But we should also desire that to match that, that position in Christ in our daily lives for the world to see. And then lastly, just sort of speaking into what we'll, we'll look at next and, and just kind of put together some, some thoughts here. Um, when God chose us in salvation, he also, verse 5, in love, predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. Predestined means to, to mark out beforehand. You know, God did not look down the core time to see who would believe and, and then predestine us as adoptions as sons. Some will say, yeah, that, see, that's God's foreknowledge. God, God kind of knew and then he adjusted based on 
oh, what I saw Nick will do, and, and, and now I'll choose him. And That doesn't stand up with Scripture. The simple fact is that one would not believe apart from the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. And apart from God, there is nothing in man to desire. God was motivated by his love. By his love. And God's sovereign choice, operating completely out of that love that is extended in grace, he selects some of the human race for salvation and marks them out as his children. The ultimate consequence of sin is eternity in hell, and that is the destination of all men except those that God lovingly and graciously chooses to save. Immediately, some accuse God as being unfair or unjust because he chooses some and not others. The, the real question is, why does he choose any at all? But instead, God is presented as altogether good he is loving and gracious, and he chooses whom he wills for his glory. Never ask God to be fair, for that would result in his judgment and his just condemnation. Always ask him to be gracious and merciful. Now, God's love is not this, like, marshmallowy, sentimental feeling that a lot of our culture thinks of God's love. God's love is this agape love. Eternal. Sacrificial. The love that chooses and sacrifices itself for the benefit of the one chosen. God poured out his love to mankind, not because of anything in mankind, but according to the kind intention of his will. That boggles our minds, but it is true. Romans 5, 8 states it this way, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so out of God's love also comes this adoption of us as sons. And this speaks ahead to the inheritance that is spoken about further later. It was the first son who received mostly the inheritance but this speaks to the relationship that he has called us to also god could have saved us from sin without making us his children but in his love he has also marked us out in eternity past to be his sons and daughters of the king and then in addition adoption grants the privileges and the responsibilities of a child of god our adoption just as our salvation comes through the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. And the grand purpose of all that is stated in verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Paul repeats this thought at the end of each section of verses 12 and verse, seven, uh, verse 14, to the, to the praise of his glory. And I wonder how many people who profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ understand that salvation is for the express purpose of bringing glory to God. I think a lot of people have missed that along the way. My guess would be a large majority of people, in fact, continue to live their lives for themselves without thought as to how or what that they are doing and how that may reflect upon God's glory. 
how different the lives of so many professing Christians would be if they un simply understood the purpose of their salvation. And so there is a, a great concern for the church at large and certainly the, the Western church because the gospel is for the most part being proclaimed not in our land much anymore and it's certainly being marketed as this prosperity gospel and what God wants for you. People are wooed and enticed into make a decision for Christ without the whole story even being told. It seems so important to get that person saved that we fail to really tell them what they are being saved from and saved to. Generally, people are not told the purpose of their salvation, only what benefits that they might expect if they pray and receive Christ. I trust that you who are here are clear when you talk to others about the Lord and that you make sure to give the whole gospel. You know, that thing about the cross and sin and our forgiveness. You know, salvation is from sin and certainly that carries with it um, deliverance from, from temporal consequences and, and ruined lives. But that's not the main focus. The ultimate consequence is eternal condemnation by God in hell. But primarily, salvation is from sin and its consequence of our broken relationship with God and the inability to function properly in fulfilling the very purpose of your existence that you have been called for and bringing glory to God. Salvation is to a reconciled relationship with God and being able to properly bring glory to his name. And if your life is not being lived out that way and you are not living in word, action, and deed in a way that glorifies God, then something needs to change and it needs to change quickly. If you are already know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you need to continue to to seek God in his strength and his power to make your life match what you are claiming it's supposed to be. Make sure that you have someone walking alongside you faithfully, praying for you, holding you accountable. The Christian life is not meant to be lived in isolation. If you do not know if you are saved, then you need to plead with God that he would extend this, this grace and mercy to you and to save you. And at any time, any of us here at the cross would um, be fortunate and blessed to, to pray for you and to counsel you in any way that this is, we never know if we got tomorrow. And as darker as things get, tomorrow might just be coming quicker than people thought. And so God is the one who is to be praised. God is the one who is to be blessed. I want to invite you to please stand and to bless the Lord this morning with all of your soul. Thank God for your salvation. God bless you.